This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Mark chapter number 6. And as we read, I want you to keep your Bibles open. We'll jump around a little bit to a few places, mainly in the book of Mark. And this morning, to be quite honest with you, my, my plan is to give you what God has been using in my heart the last couple of weeks as I have spent time with the Lord and, and, and read. And, and God has spoken to me from the book of Mark and, and helping me with some things. And I trust that you'll allow God to, to use the truth of His Word to help you this morning. We're going to start in verse 45 of Mark chapter 6. And just to give you a little bit of background, a great and marvelous miracle has just taken place before verse 45. And that great miracle is there were 5,000 men and women and children, more, more than 5,000, that were fed with five loaves and two fishes. And we all have perhaps heard that story, read that story, studied that story, and, and that account rather, and, and we understand that Jesus Christ did an amazing miracle taking the little that was given, a lad who gave us five loaves and two fishes, and the Lord Jesus took that and multiplied that. And just think of that took that little bit and multiplied that to meet the need of the thousands, of the multitude. What a miracle that was. And what a wonderful account of the authority of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, everyone ate, everyone was filled, and they took up 12 baskets full afterwards. And then the Bible says in verse 45, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them, but when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good courage, it is I. Be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. What an incredible account, again, of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this miracle that was, was done, again, shows us the authority of Jesus Christ. He has authority over all creation. As we read through the, the Gospels, we understand He has authority over demons and spiritual wickedness. 
He has authority uh, over his creation. He has authority uh, over sickness and disease. He has authority uh, over life and death. He raised Lazarus from the grave. As he died on the cross, was buried, he arose from the grave, and he reveals to us his authority over all things. He reveals to us that he is God, that he is the Messiah, that he is God in flesh. And as we go through the Gospels, and as you read through the Gospels, we, we understand there were many who just didn't get it. They didn't understand it. But the disciples were here, and they got to see it firsthand and, and be a part of that. And so by way of introduction, I just want to point out a few things here in verses 45 through 51. And then I have a truth, a thought that God has used to, to be honest with you, to convict me, to reveal uh, in my own heart the need that I have of Him. And I'm just going to share my study with you this morning. And all I ask is that you allow your heart to be tender to the Lord that you would ask God to search your heart and, or to search you and to know your heart, to try you, know your thoughts, see if there be any wicked way within you, and ask Him to lead you in the way everlasting. It's amazing what God can do through a yielded vessel. And so may God help us. Would you pray with me? And then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you for the privilege to preach your word. I pray you'd give me clarity. I pray that you'd speak through me in power and demonstration of your spirit. Sincerely, Lord, may you be exalted this morning. May you receive all the glory. May we humbly submit ourselves to thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a few things I want to mention to you. By way of introduction here in verses 45 through 47, I want you to notice that Jesus sent the disciples. In verse 45, let's look at it again. And straightway he, that's Jesus, constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent the people or while he sent away the people. So do you think that Jesus knew what was coming as he sent them away? Well, of course he knew what was coming. He knew there was a storm on the horizon. He knew that, that uh, how he was going to respond to that, and yet he sent them. And verse 46, And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. The Lord Jesus knew that the storm would come. He knew exactly how they were going to be toiling. He knew exactly uh, the roughness of the seas. And he knew exactly the reason and the purpose for which he sent them. And as God deals in our lives and we go from mountaintops into valleys, we go uh, from good days to low days as we go uh, from seeing and understanding wonderful blessings and 
uh, other days of, of wondering if anybody cares. I want us to understand and keep in mind that it is Jesus who leads our lives. It is Jesus who guides us. It is Jesus who knows exactly where we're headed and the path that we are taking and everything that is in that path. He has ordained it and His plan is to use it. There's a great purpose and we're going to see a great purpose in what God was uh, the Lord Jesus was sending them to see. So Jesus sent them, but I want you also to notice this. Jesus saw them. Look in verse 48, just the first part there. And he saw them toiling and rowing. Jesus saw them. And the first thing that I think of is the interest that Jesus had in them. Jesus sent them and he knew what was coming and it was going to be full of purpose and he, he sent them, but he didn't just wipe his hands of it and, and walk away. Oh no, he was very interested in his disciples. He knew exactly where they were. He knew exactly what they were doing. He had an interest in them, an interest in their struggle, an interest in their need. And may I remind us this morning that every step that we take, God has an interest in you and your well-being. Everything he sends us to do, everything he allows in our lives is to be used for a purpose and he is constantly watching. He is interested in how you feel. He is interested in how you struggle. He is interested in the pain. He's interested in the confusion. He is interested in you and me because he loves us. He has great interest in us. But not only that, I want you to see his intercession. What was Jesus doing on the mountain? Well, he was praying. We have a high priest who prays for us, whoever liveth to make intercession for us. He knows every need of our life. He knows every burden that we carry. He knows every weakness that we have. He understands every fear uh, that we experience because he's interested. But not only that, he is our intercessor. You know, it's a blessing when someone comes to you and says, hey, I want you to know I'm praying about your special need. Isn't that a blessing when people say and, and actually pray? When we pray for one another, it's a blessing to get a text and to know that you're being prayed for. But understand the God of all the universe, Jesus Christ who knows all and has all power and God who is everywhere all the time in all times, that God is interested in you and everything about you and intercedes on our behalf to our Heavenly Father. What a blessing. Jesus sent them. Jesus saw them. And then look at how Jesus saved them. Again in verse 48, and He saw them toiling in rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, He cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. But when they saw Him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. They were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered how Jesus saved them. I want you to notice his walk. Jesus came walking 
on water. We understand it was a storm. We understand the waves were high. We un- I don't know exactly logistically how Jesus did it, but we understand that Jesus came walking on water like no other human could ever do outside of the power of God. And Jesus Christ walked on water. You know what that tells me? It not only points to his miraculous power and his authority over creation, but it shows me his determination to get to his children who are struggling. He was determined to get to them. And it didn't matter what he had to go through or what he had to walk over to get to his children to meet their need in their toiling and in their struggle. His walk, he was determined. I love this thought, and I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 22. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, David writes, and he's praising the Lord. And this is a little bit more personal version of Psalm 18. It's David's song of praise. And if you'd bear with me for just a moment as I read through this rather quickly, but pay attention to what's being said. David comes to the Lord and he calls on Him. And we'll start in verse number 7. He cries out to God and, and, and David knows that God has, has heard him, that he's listening. And then in verses 8 through 16, we see a, a portrait of the determination of God to come to our aid, to hear our prayer and what He'll do to meet us in our need. In verse 7, David says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and He did hear my voice out of His temple, and my cry did enter into His ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens, meaning he spread out. He burst through the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly and he was seen upon the wings of the wind and he made darkness pavilions round about uh, him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Through the brightness before him were coals of fire kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, speaking of the enemies, lightning and disconfitted them. And the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. We understand David has prayed a prayer and deliverance from his enemies and he has called out and cried unto God. And then he says that the earth moves and the mountains shake and the smoke comes and darkness under his feet. I dare say that David got to actually see that. But what David has given us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God is a, a, the imagery of how attentive, how responsive, how willing, and how awesome God responds to our cry. All of His power and all of His resources are available to you and I. And when we are toiling in the storm and when we are struggling and we cry out to God, hey, I want you to understand that your God is so determined that He will will move heaven and earth to come to your need and to meet you where you are. That's the image that we have, the the portrait of the heart of God as He uh, is interested in our need and as He comes to us in our struggle. What a God. 
coming to the rescue. And we see that Jesus saved them through his walk. He was determined. But we also see his words. They saw him and were troubled, and immediately, verse 50, immediately he talked with them. Oh, the word of God is like a salve. It's a medicine. It brings such help and comfort. It shows us what's wrong. It shows us what's right. It shows us how to fix it. The word of God is powerful. It reveals our heart and our motive. And it brings comfort and healing. He says, be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Be of good cheer. It is I. Same words when God said to Moses, I am. Jesus is saying, be of good cheer. I am. I was here before this, and I will ever be here after this. I am the eternal one pre-existent Son of God in flesh upon this earth. And I want you to understand, I sent you and I know that you are in the storm and you're toiling and I'm going to move heaven and earth to come to your aid. I am determined for you to know that I am with you. Be of good cheer. The I am is with you. He said, be not afraid. It was at this point that Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me come and walk on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter stepped out of the boat and he walked on water and did what only Jesus Christ in his power could allow Peter to do. But He got to looking at the winds and the waves and all the storm and he began to sink. But guess who was there to reach down and grab him and pull him up and get him back into the ship? Jesus Christ. Folks, can we understand that Jesus will do whatever it takes to make sure that you and I know that He is there for us and that He will be, in, that he will be with us. He is interested in you and where you're at. He's interceding for us. And He saves, He delivers. We see His walk. We see His words of comfort and of calm. And then we see His wonder. Verse 51, And He went up and unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. Just like that. They were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. He revealed his authority over creation, over the storm. It was a miraculous thing that Jesus did to save them. And these are the apostles. These are the disciples of Jesus Christ. They've been following him for some time now. And I love what God, through the Lord Je or what the Lord Jesus Christ did through this storm. In their lives. But then we come to verse 52. And it's a little bit concerning. Follow it with me as I read it. Verse 52. For they, the disciples, considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Their heart was hardened. This is not... Pharaoh, back in Exodus, who is a worshiper of many gods, idols, little g-gods, who after every storm, after every plague, after every judgment to get the Pharaoh's attention and the nation of Egypt's attention, 
that continued stubbornly to resist and harden his heart against a so-called God of the Jews. This is, this is not someone who doesn't, like Pharaoh, who doesn't believe in Jehovah God. No, this is, this is not someone who is rebelling against the knowledge of God. These are disciples. They have walked with Jesus Christ. They have seen Him perform miracle after miracle. They've watched Him pray and listened to the Son of God pray. They've watched Him with tears in His eyes heal the lame and make the blind to see, the deaf to hear. They're, they're going to see more of those things. How His words are always pure and perfect. And they've been with the Son of God. And yet the Bible says that their heart was hardened. And as I looked at that, I began to ask myself the question, and, and honestly, this is what I'm asking you to do, is to ask the question that I've asked myself. Lord, I feel like I'm a follower. I want to follow you. I want to do your will. I want to know who you are. I want to know your word. But if the disciples' hearts can be hardened, and I have to assume mine can, God, would you show me? Are there areas in my life where my heart is hard? As I begin to ask that question to the Lord, do you know what he did? He graciously and mercifully and yet honestly showed me. And if you desire to have a heart that's after God, you would want to hear the truth from the Lord this morning as well and then respond. And may God help us to do that. Their heart was hardened. Now, I guess it would be appropriate to give a definition of the heart, a broad biblical definition of the heart. And there's several things that we could say about the heart that is synonymous, but just a, just a broad stroke, it's the hub of human personality. It is the source of life. It is who we are. Oftentimes we ascribe things to the mind that the Bible uh, prescribes to the heart, the hub of our personality, who we are, our soul, if you will, our, our, our will, our intellect, our, uh, our emotion. And so Scripture shows us that worry, desires, joy, understanding, thoughts and reasoning, faith and belief, are products of the heart. Well, no wonder Solomon tells us in Proverbs to, in chapter 4, verse 23, to keep or guard, keep thy heart with all diligence. I don't know how much all diligence is, but it's with everything you've got. It's all diligence. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart is vital to the believer. As a matter of fact, that is the source of our faith and of our belief. 
And so as we look at the hardened heart of the disciples, those that, that followed Christ, what does it mean? And so as I, I don't normally do this when I'm, when I'm preaching, but I think it's important to understand that the word hardness or hardened rather in verse 52 uh, is not the same. Uh, there's a couple of different words that are translated hardness. In this one, it's only used five times and it comes from a Greek word that's uh, pronounced Hopefully, poros, poros, P-O-R-O-S, and it means to petrify. Can you extrapolate a word that we use in our language that comes from this and this meaning? Porous. Something that has hardened and yet things that it's permeable means to petrify to 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 callous or to dull hardness means to lose the power of understanding now there's a lot of different reasons why our hearts can get hardened sin can harden our hearts especially if it's unconfessed sin and we keep holding on to that sin and the Spirit of God continues to remind us of it and convict us of it and we resist for whatever reason. Sin can harden. And especially as we go on and we don't respond to the conviction and the mercy and the grace of God to, to call us back to Him, if we continue in that, then a chastening father gets involved. We're not to despise the chastening of the Lord. I don't like it, but... I, when I get on the other side of it, I'm thankful that it was there. But sin can harden our hearts. Pride can harden our hearts. We see that example in Pharaoh. We see it in many throughout the Scriptures. But pride can harden the person's heart. Suffering can sometimes harden our hearts. Because we, we don't consider, we don't understand. And certainly it's not for me to, and, and I wouldn't have the understanding, but God does. And how He uses it. There are several causes, but this word is a little different in how it is used. I want you to look with me in chapter number 7, Mark 7, verse 14. It's speaking to petrify. It's, it's permeable. It's porous. A, a hardened, hardened heart is porous here when speaking of the disciples. And in chapter 7, in verse 14, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. By the way, it's amazing how God would, uh, the Lord Jesus would do uh, a, a miracle uh, with the disciples, through the disciples, for the disciples, and then there would come a storm. And then you would see uh, other miraculous works of the Lord, and then there would come a trial. Uh, and then you would see other miraculous works of Jesus, and, and then uh, there would come persecution. And so we see that through Matthew or Mark chapter 6, 7, and 8 and even throughout the Gospels. And God was using each of those lows in the disciples' lives to reveal to them some things. And it started with revealing that their hearts were porous. That what Jesus was trying to teach them, they were not understanding. Now what does the word understand mean? To understand means to hold in the mind. It's 
intentional. It's someone who decides that I want to know and I'm going to study this. I'm going to remember this. I'm going to allow this entrance into my heart because that's where the hub of my personality, who I am, can be changed. And I want it. It's intentional, but hardness of heart is not one who's intentional about understanding, and so they don't hold it in the mind. It just kind of leaves. It just kind of is porous. And so in Mark chapter 7, we see this example, and he rebukes the Pharisees, and then in verse 14, he teaches the disciples some things. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand understand, put it together, consider what I'm saying, hold it in the mind. This is important. Do you think we ought to listen when Jesus says, hearken? There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. Now, the disciples had been listening and had been taught ever since they were children the oral Torah. They had been, they had been taught by the Pharisees and Sadducees and perhaps even Herodians uh, to some degree, but they had been taught that the traditions of men, their traditions were more powerful than the inspired Word of God. They taught the traditions of men as the doctrines of God. And they had been brought up with all of this tradition and the ceremonial washing of hands. And, and boy, the, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus to the disciples. And then he'll, the, the Pharisees will get with the disciples and accuse Jesus to, to his disciples. And, and just like the accuser of the brethren, trying to stir up things all the time, stir up trouble. And so Jesus says, look, I want you to understand something. You've been hearing this all of your life, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. And I want you to understand you are not defiled with what's on the outside, but what comes out of you that's in your heart. Verse 16, he continues, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, understand. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draft, purging all meats? And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. From, for from within, out of our heart, or out of the heart of men, excuse me, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. He is teaching them that uh, what the Pharisees are teaching, that the traditions of men are not to compare to the truth and the doctrine of God. And he's trying to help them get past in their mind that what they have been taught and the traditions that they have been given that do not match up with God's Word 
needs to be understood, and the only way that it can be understood is to make it to the heart. But oftentimes it never gets there. Why? Because sometimes my heart is hardened. And maybe yours is too. Look in chapter number 8. After that persecution, that that bit of bantering and, and Jesus humbling the Pharisees, we see the Syrophoenician's daughter healed, a deaf man healed, and then the feeding of the 4,000 plus women and children. Seven baskets full, everybody ate, and it was, it was a wonderful miracle. And in verse number 14 of chapter 8, now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. Obviously, they were sensitive to this. I mean, we've just taken up seven uh, baskets full left over remaining, and we got into the ship to go to the other side. It's, it's going to take us a while to get there, several hours anyway, and you know what? We didn't even bring any food, so they're a little sensitive to this perceived mistake that they have made. But it's more than just that. It's more than just a mistake. Verse 15, Jesus is just simply teaching them as a result of what the Pharisees had said and repeating. In verse 15, he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Boy, as soon as Jesus mentioned leaven, their minds went to the bread. Oh, man. He's calling us out on this one. I knew we should have done it. And the Bible says they begin to reason with the, uh, among themselves. Look in verse 16. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it's because we have no bread. They were, they were so uh, sensitive. They took personally what Jesus said as an admonition or correction like they'd done something wrong. They weren't understanding what Jesus was trying to teach them. They, were, they revealed their insecurity, and as a result of that insecurity, began to try to find fault. That's what it means when they reasoned among themselves. Well, look, you, you, had, you, had the, the, you were in charge of the extra baskets of, of bread. You should have brought some. Look, you always bring some. Why didn't you bring some this time? And, and they begin to, to find fault in one another. You ever find yourself thinking that every statement that someone says to you is an innuendo to some form of correction or something that you've done wrong? You know where that comes from? From misunderstanding and from heart that is hardened. He goes on in verse 17, and when Jesus knew it, look at what he says. He saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet? Neither understand. Now, maybe the Lord Jesus didn't say it as frustrated as I'm saying it, but I can imagine I would be frustrated. Of course, I'm not the Son of God either, so there's a little bit of leeway there, right? Neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? You understand that it's not circumstances that hardens my heart? It's not the places where Jesus sends me that hardens my heart. I harden my heart. Have ye your heart yet hardened? 
Having eyes see ye not? And having ears hear ye not? And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? I can imagine when he asks that question, all their heads go down to 12. And when I fed the 4,000, how many baskets took ye up? Seven. Don't you get it? We're not talking about bread. Verse 21, And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? We see this theme several times, and really for the apostles, for the disciples, it wasn't until the resurrection of Jesus Christ where they looked back at the miracle of the resurrection, and then it all, all the pieces of the puzzle just came together, and they understood Now, we have an extra privilege. All these things have already taken place. We can look back and read what has happened. They were in the midst of it. So we can't be hard on them. The ones we need to be hard on is the ones that we see in the mirror. And so we see that their hearts were hardened. And through the text here, Jesus spells out the characteristics of this kind of hardness of heart as an inability and an unwillingness to see, to understand, to hear, and remember. We harden our own hearts. How many of you know it's not the problem that's the problem, it's our response to the problem that's the problem? It's not the things that God allows in our lives. It's not the the sea that God sends us on that's the problem. It's that my heart at times has been hardened by choice. The disciples seem to be used to seeing the miracles of Jesus. There's familiarity, of course. They're busy about the things of God. And we all know that we can busy, be busy doing things for God and forget to be with God or to recognize or understand that He is with us. They didn't learn from the miracle of the loaves. The Bible says in verse 52 of chapter 6, they considered not the miracle of the loaves. They were, in, uh, they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. It's the, eye, it's the eye opening, the mouth dropping. I can't believe this actually. Is this really real kind of unbelief? For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. They didn't learn from the miracle of the loaves. Do you think that if you and I were there, we would have done any differently? I don't, I don't know. But I would imagine that if we saw Jesus take five loaves and two fishes and just out of that little bit multiplied into so much to feed so many, we would never question His authority, His power, His love, His care, His interest, His interest. We would never question any of it again. You would think that would be our response. But it's not. It wasn't for them. And that's why the miracles and then the training and then the miracles and then the training and then the miracles and then the training. That's why we see in our own lives the mountains and then the 
training and then the high days and then the training because God in His grace wants us to understand more and more of who He is. You realize that we can be active for Christ? We can be active for Christ. And this is an active church. And we can be active for Christ and still have a hard heart. Ask the disciples. Our church has seen some wonderful blessings. We continue to see blessings. Absolutely amazing what God is doing. But let me remind you, the blessings of God do not make us right with Him from our hearts. What is Jesus most interested about me? My heart. What is He most interested about you? Your heart. We can ride on the coattails of the blessings all around us and all the while truly missing who He is. The disciples were amazed at what He did more than who He was. And I can get infatuated with the things that Jesus does, but I ought to be infatuated with who He is regardless of what he does or does not. But our hearts get hard. And the disciples' hardened hearts were linked to their lack of consideration. Again, verse 52, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves. So how do we prevent getting a hardened heart? How do we, how do we fix it? How does God fix it? There's some things that you and I... Look, if, if it is you and I who make decisions that cause us to harden our own hearts, then you and I have to be intentional when we recognize it to make sure that we get it right before Him. True? It's got to be intentional. Four things I want to point out and we'll be done. Number one, consider... That's the key word to all of it. We could stop right there and go home. But we're not going to because I want to explain it a little more. Consider. They considered not. And their heart was hardened. So if my heart is hardened, if I consider some things, maybe it can break up that fallow ground. Maybe I can feel His presence like I remember before. Maybe I, can, maybe I can sense His presence with me a little more than I have. This is not about condemning. This is about recognizing and understanding what Jesus wants to do. And how do we do that? How do we keep ourselves from having a hardened heart? Number one, consider God's work. They didn't consider what God had done with the five loaves and two fishes. They didn't think about it. What does it mean to consider? It means to think. It, it, it means to meditate. It means to remember. And, he, and, and we, we learn that we are to consider God's work. I think of David as, he, as he's needing the Lord and he recognizes that he has enemies and he understands that the only hope he has is God and and, and, and he considers God's creation, His work. When I consider the heavens, 
the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. What is man? And David and his heart is tenderized when he, when he considers God's work is creative work. When you look around, do you realize that everything we sit on, everything we walk on, everything that we're wearing, everything came from something that God made. Every bit of food that you eat today, everything that we drink, everything, medicine that we take, even though they say it's man-made, it's man-made because God made it first. Everything that we have, God has supplied Everything that we want God has made is a part of His creation. And when we begin to consider God's work and what He's done in our past, when we consider the day that we got saved, when we look to the cross and we realize there was a day that I understood I was lost, I was on my way to hell, and I deserved it. But Jesus stretched out His arms in love and He said, I love you and I'm interested in your life and I want to forgive your sin and I have died in your place. I've paid hell so that you could have heaven and I want you to come to me in faith but I'm not going to force you but that day on January 26, 1992 I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and he forgave it all and I go back to that day every single day of my life because it takes a hard heart and softens it oh we need to consider God's work in His creation, His work on the cross, His work in our care. Oh, mercy, how He cares for us. So consider God's work. Number two, consider God's will. Consider God's will. You understand that we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. We know that, that God is, we, we know that the Lord Jesus is Savior and that He loves us. And where we are, where He is leading us, He is in control. And it's not always fun and it's not always painless. And if you're looking for a, a painless, easy Christianity, I don't know that anything exists like that. It just doesn't happen. We are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him. It's not painless. It's not without tears. It's not without hurt. But when we go through those things, we go through them with Jesus because He loves us. Consider His will as He leads us. He is our Savior. He loves us. He would do nothing with us and allow in us but that can be used to help us. Consider God's will. He's sovereign. He knows all about it and He is in control of all of it. And when we come to that place, we got to understand that Jesus is sufficient. Christ is all I need, the hymn writer says. Is He all you need? Is He all I need? You think of that thought. Consider God's work. Consider God's will. Number three, consider God's word. Jesus spoke to them, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And they were comforted in that. This book 
is so vital, it's so important, and our pastor says it and reminds us, and I hope he never stops reminding us, because this is what we need. This is how God reveals who He is, and everything that God wants us to know about Him, we find it in the pages of His Word. You can't just depend upon the teaching and the walk of other people. You and I must personally get into God's Word, read it, understand it, study it. It's no race to get to the end of it. I've been reading those chapters for the last two weeks because they're just, I, I, I don't know that I want to get past it. It is wonderfully painful. Does that make sense to some of you? Because when we get honest with the Lord, it is not painless. But boy, what joy fills our soul when we leave everything on the altar. Not just this altar, but I'm talking about leaving it with Him. Consider His Word and listen to it. Listen to it. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Listen to it. Read it and then believe it. There are a lot of people that heard a lot of the teaching of Jesus Christ. They listened. But it went right through. They didn't believe it. May we consider God's work. May we consider God's will. May we consider God's word. And lastly, may we consider God's wisdom. He is aware, and we need to be aware of His presence. I don't know. I don't, well, I don't pretend to be hyper-spiritual, but I tell you, I really do want to be aware of God in the day-to-day. -day. I wonder how many, how many times I've missed being able to lead someone to Christ or to give the gospel because I just wasn't aware. Oh, I was aware of my need and aware of my schedule and aware of my list and aware of my responsibilities. Let's consider God's wisdom. Let's ask God to help us be aware, to be awake, and to be active. And this morning, all I'm asking, as I asked in the beginning, is would you consider asking the Lord, Lord, is my heart hardened in some area? And if you don't want it to be hardened, then may I ask you to respond to the Lord Jesus? Now He has spoken to you. None of us have to go home with a, with a hardened heart. And there's none of you that have to go home without Jesus as your Savior. You know, before I became a Christian, I had heard the gospel. I, I had a boss who was a Christian. God sent my classmates to, to witness to me. I rejected the Lord. I knew I was rejecting Him. Then on that day, I went to church and the Spirit of God convicted me and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, you understand your need of a Savior. I want to encourage you, please, let us help you. We're not looking to embarrass people. We just want to help. You can talk to us after the service, but we can show you what God says, not what man says, not what tradition says, but what God says that you can leave with your sins forgiven, your name written in heaven, a child of God forever, born into the family of God, never to be unborn. 
And so may God help us. Will you consider these things this morning? Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.